Exodus 22 through 26. We'll be reading there in a moment. John Patton was a missionary in the New Hebrides Islands. One night, hostile natives surrounded their mission station with the intent on burning out the Pattons and killing them. So they were going to light their buildings on fire so that they would run for their lives and then they would kill them. Uh, Patton and his wife prayed during that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see that their attackers left. One year later, the chief of the tribe that went to kill them was actually converted to Christianity, and he remembered what happened that night. Uh, Remembering what happened that night, Patton asked the chief what kept him from burning down the house and killing them. To the chief's surprise, he responded, Who were all those men with you there? Patton knew that no men were present, but the chief said that he was afraid to attack because he had seen hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling the mission station. You see, they prayed and God delivered. It was by no power of their own, but God protected them in their time of distress. And we fi- when we find ourselves trapped in life, sometimes we feel like we're trapped in our own lives, and we see no way out. It is through supernatural protection, provision, and deliverance of God that we can find ourselves not only protected by the grace of God, but empowered and able to be delivered and even to see others set free because of what God did in our life. So let's read our text this morning, Acts chapter 16, verses 22 through 26, which says, The crowd uh, joined in attacking them. They're attacking Paul and Silas for preaching the gospel. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the founders, uh, foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. This morning I want to preach a sermon I've entitled, Singing from the Chains. Let's pray. Father God, help us this morning, God, that your Spirit, Lord, would uh, touch each person in this place, God, not by my words, God, or what I have to say, Father, but by your grace and your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So first I want to talk about the issue of the chains. Of course, these men are bound by real chains, but uh, there are figurative chains that we can find ourselves in in real life. And from our text, it's, we see that they, they are beaten and bruised and battered by these people for trying to advance God's glory, to trying to advance the kingdom of God. And they end up finding themselves put into the inner prison and fastened at their feet. Uh, at their feet and their hands in the stocks. In other words, this is like Bible times maximum security, right? They put the very inter, the, so the middle, like if they, even if they manage to get free from their chains, they still have a long ways to go to get to the door. And so this was basically the maximum security, if you would. So Paul and Silas, they find themselves bound by actual chains. And we're, we're talking 
you know, just like you see in the movies, links around your 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 wrists and they're chained together and then to your feet and you're not getting much done that way. So they they're wrapped up in chains. But for us in our life, I mean, sometimes you end up in cuffs. Right. But but in the most people here, the type of chains we're going to address are not physical chains, but chains of our circumstances and our lives. We find ourselves in mental chains or spiritual or even physical issues, maybe not cuffs, but physical circumstances that we feel very bound by. Anything that can hold us back or hold us down from the will of God. We can talk about mental issues, addiction, emotional issues, just general mental challenges that will bind us on a daily basis or spiritual issues, uh, false religion. There's all these different options out there, right? That if everywhere from worshiping yourself to worshiping the stars and leaves that fall off the trees to false Jesuses and all of these things that can bind us in who God wants us to be. Or there's just having no religion at all, which a lot of people like to act like they're free and, and, and they can live life the way they want. But these people generally are the ones who are most bound by the other two issues that we'll discuss uh, tonight. And then there's physical issues, lifestyle choices, things that just happen to you in your life, our, our work or our career or our education, things that, that are, are maybe viewed as a necessity in our life, but yet they hold us back from the will of God or even relationships that we have with people uh, around us, whether it's a co-worker or even somebody close to you, a, a brother or a sister, mother or father even. These relationships that can cause us to be bound in our lives. We can't move freely within the will of God. But the reality is, just as Paul and Silas could not even move their hands, sometimes we feel this way by the chains in our lives, that we cannot even move the way we want to move, do the things we want to do. Even if we see what God desires for us, we feel so bound by our circumstances, by our situations, by what's going on in our minds, that we can't accomplish what God wants to accomplish in our lives. The chains that bind us in our lives will always be an unruly master. The world is always looking to hold us down in one way or another to keep us as slaves to the world. But our, the Word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, uh, which says, You were bought with a price. That price was the blood of Jesus Christ. Because you were bought with a price, do not become bondservants of men. So in other words, Paul is writing to the Corinthians church and he's saying, listen, Jesus died on the cross for your freedom. You don't have to be bound to what the world tells you to live to. You don't have to live up to the standards or don't have to be told that you live to too high of standards by the world. That's usually what they'll tell uh, Christians, that you don't have to become a slave to men. God, Jesus came to save you from those things. And this is true for all men, saved or not. Jesus Christ paid the price for your freedom. Now, of course, if you're not saved, you're not living in that freedom, but Christ has already paid uh, the bail. It's not even bail, because bail, you still have to go back and, and, and answer to a judge and a jury. No, he paid the, you're, you're already proven guilty, and Christ has paid the fee. We simply just have to look at our change, look at our situations, 
And instead of fixating on them, we can praise God even though we feel bound by our situations. And this is how we find ourselves set free from these things. Let's look at our text again, verses 25 and 26. Um, as Paul and Silas are bound uh, by these chains in the, in the maximum security prison, if you will, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. You see, Paul and Silas found themselves in chains. They're, they're sitting in this uh, prison. Listen, you hear story, prison stories now, and you, you hear about like having internet access and cable TV and good meals. And uh, I mean, I've never been to any type of prison, but from what I hear, it ain't like what it used to be. And I'll tell you what, it certainly ain't like what it was in prison times. Not only did they not have amenities, they didn't even have electricity. So imagine being locked up, chained, in a room probably with no windows in the middle of the night. Oh man, cold, miserable, dark, things probably not good. And if you look at their situation, we could easily look at what they're dealing with right now. And from our perspective we would think they have every right to be mad. They have every right to complain, to be upset, to be depressed. I mean, they, were, they, were, they didn't even do anything wrong, right? They were in jail for serving God. They could have easily been bumming in their circumstances. They could have easily, instead of praising God, they could have been shaking their fist at God. Like, God, I've been serving you and this is what we get. They could have gone around to every other prisoner in that place and you know, tried to, tried to explain to them, you know, I'm innocent, right? <laughs> I didn't do nothing. They could have tried to get sympathy. They could have complained to the guards, were locked up unjustly, whatever they could have said. They could have done a lot of different things, and we could have read that story and go, yeah, that seems reasonable. <laughs> we find ourselves in that same situation, and, and we might be complaining, whining, and moping, right? I know I probably would be. That would not be cool, right? Imagine, like, trying to go on an impact team, right? And then all of a sudden you're arrested and thrown in jail. We don't live in America like that just yet. Maybe someday. But when we find ourselves in hypothetical chains, not even real chains in our lives, do we justify our complaints? Do we justify our whining and moping and our bad circumstances because of what we're dealing with? Do we go around with this woe is me and making sure everyone knows about it type of attitude? We all know at least one person like that, where if they're having a bad day, you're going to know about it, right? It's like, uh, yeah, everybody has to get up early for work, okay? <laughs> I know you're tired. <laughs> you know, these people who complain about everyday circumstances, and it's like, okay, it's going to be okay. You know, you try not to be rude to them. but And then, of course, you have real situations. I mean, there's tough things that people go through, and but yet they have to post this five-paragraph thing on Facebook about why their life is so hard. And, and listen, there's a time and a place to confide in somebody about your struggles. I'm not saying not to have people who you talk to about what you deal with and what you struggle with. But some people, I, I mean, I'm just going to be real. Some people, it seems like they enjoy their misery because they like all the sympathy that they get. But listen, when you complain about your chains, you are empowering your chains. 
When you focus on your circumstances, you are only making those chains thicker and stronger, harder to break, a situation that you might never get out of. One of my favorite quotes that I love to quote, especially to my children, by Theodore Roosevelt, which says, complaining without proposing a solution is just whining. You're not solving anything. You're simply just running your mouth for sympathy at best. Complaining without looking for a way out. You're just whining, and nobody likes a whiner. Even whiners, I think, if they could hear themselves, would be like, that's me. When we complain, when all we do is complain and whine in our situations, and it's easy to do, trust me, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not innocent of this it only empowers our situation to hold us down more than before. But instead, what does Paul and Silas do? We, in, in our eyes, in our minds, we look at them, they have every right to be upset. And I'm sure they were probably were a little upset. I mean, they got beaten and bruised. and I'm sure at least at one point they were like, what the heck is happening to us? This is, wasn't, the, wasn't the only time this happened to them. But instead, what do they do during their captivity? They had just been abused and mistreated. But verse 25 tells us they were praying and singing hymns to God. That's amazing. They're, they're worshiping the reason why they're in jail, right? I mean, the reason why was the, the, the enemy. But they were serving God. I mean, they could have easily just backed down and denounced their faith and probably not had to go to jail over it. But ultimately, they were praying and singing hymns to God, the one person who they were trying to advance His will, and that's why they find themselves in jail. So when we find ourselves in our own trials, when we find ourselves in our own situations, are we praying and worshiping God, or are we shaking our fist at Him? God, how could you let this happen to me? I'm such a, a righteous saint. The Word of God says we're made saints by the blood of Jesus Christ, not because we're so great. Do we blame God for the chains we find ourselves in, or do we praise God despite finding ourselves in chains? Do we give glory to Him even when it's the most difficult time to give glory to Him? I can't, it's all mixing up. I can't remember if it was the marriage retreat or the revival service last night, but he talked about how when you just... You want to pray, but I think it was the marriage retreat. You want to pray and you know you need to bring things before God and you just, there's a barrier in your mind and you just can't do it. Is when you need to be praying the most. When you need to find a way through and glorify God. Yeah, it was the marriage retreat. Even when you find yourself in jail away from your wife and your kids. I pray that none of you guys find yourself like that. But even in our most difficult of times, even when it's most difficult to pray, is when we need to be praying the most. Are we shaking our fist at God or are we giving God glory? There's one man in the Bible who knows a thing or two about hard times. No matter how hard or difficult or confusing it gets, we have to trust God. And there's a good example of this in you might guess it. His name was Job. Anytime you start talking about hard times, Job's got to come up. Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 is describing the life of Job at the very beginning of the book. It says, There was a man in the land of, of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. 
There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that, his, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. So in other words, if this doesn't make any sense to you, Job had it made. You might listen to that and think, that just sounds like a lot of animals to clean up after. Well, it says he had a lot of servants, too. That was their job. Back in those days, crops and animals translated into riches, translated into provision. So, in other words, Job had it made, and not only that, it says he was the greatest of all the people in the East. So, in other words, he was like at the top of Forbes' world's richest people's list. You guys didn't know Forbes was around back then. He was probably, if not close to, the richest man, wealthiest man in the world. But this is the first chapter of Job, and by the end of the first chapter, what we see happen is all of Job's children are dead. All of his property is gone, either by uh, being stolen from him or being destroyed uh, by fires or natural events. And on top of that, not long into chapter 2, we find his health depleting, that he is covered in boils and sores. And I don't know if you've ever had a boil or a sore, but if you've ever been covered in them, it's not good. It describes that he sat in the mire and the filth with broken clay pots, scraping at his boils and sores. Think about this. He goes from one of the most powerful, richest men on earth to losing literally everything and even his health depleting. And all he has left at this point is his wife. But the problem is, is this wasn't the type of situation where it was like, yeah, me and you, babe, it's us against the world. We got this. No, I would love to say that that's how it was for him. But Job chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, his wife, still alive, turns on him. And she says to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. How's that for some wife support? Job, you just need to curse your God and just die. I pray my wife never says anything like that to me. And his response to her in verse 10 says, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Think about this. He's lost everything. The one thing he has left is his wife, and she tells him her, her piece of advice is to curse God and die. But still in the midst of all of this, he says, I praised God when life was good. I'm going to praise God when life is bad. He is not a different God than he was yesterday. Just because my circumstances have changed does not mean God has changed. And it says in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. And you read throughout the whole book of Job, and you know that uh, Job was not perfect, but he was trying to figure out, like, what did I do to deserve this? His friends are like, man, you must have done something bad. And Job's like, I don't know what, I don't think I did anything bad. And it's this big, long dialogue. It's quite fascinating, actually, between Job and his friends trying to figure out, you know, why he deserved all of this. But ultimately, the story ends with Job remaining faithful to God, despite his trials and his circumstances, despite, listen, Job, what Job went through, many people would be wishing they were just locked up in chains in the inner prison 
What Job went through was far beyond any of that, and he didn't even understand why he went through it, but he remained faithful and trusting God. The words of Job, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's story, as you probably already know, has a, a good ending. Amen. Job chapter 42. Yes, this goes on for 42 chapters. Verse 10. It says that the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, and he prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. All the camels, all the donkeys, even the children restored to him. But you can look at his story and you can wonder. I wonder how his story would have gone if he had taken his wife's advice. Just curse God and die. Probably that's exactly what would have happened. And we probably wouldn't even know the beginning of the story. <laughs> it wouldn't even be in the Bible. If it, if it was, it'd be a very short book. Just two chapters. His wife says, curse God and die, and Job cursed God and died. And at the end. But listen. Paul and Silas, thrown into prison, beaten, bruised, clothes torn. Job going through these trials. You and I going through trials. The question we have to ask ourselves is as we feel bound by the chains of life and we actually follow the advice of the world and we, and we cursed God, we, we come against God's plans for our lives because we're so angry and upset. Are we robbing ourselves from Job chapter 42? Are we robbing ourselves from being set free from the chains? Well, we find ourselves just cursing God and dying. Of course, maybe not even a physical death, but a spiritual death. Imagine Paul and Silas in prison, you know, the, sitting there in the stocks, and they're chained up, and they just got put in, and the guy next to him goes, Hey, what are you in for? <laughs> you know? Paul and Silas explain what they're in for. They think, What? <laughs> like, you didn't kill nobody? Or, like, you... What, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I would imagine their wife probably sounded a lot like Job's, or their, their advice probably sounded a lot like Job's wife. You mean you guys tell me you were serving some God? Some, some, you know, like, guy in the sky? Imaginary creature? You know, like how a lot of people like to describe God. You mean serving this God got you beat, bruised, thrown in jail, locked up? You might as well just curse God and die in this jail, man. That God ain't looking out for you. Look at where you are. The world will tell you that. You're, what's happening in your life and you're, you call yourself a Christian and, and God's letting this happen to you? That's the advice of the world. That's the advice of, of the Job's wives, of the fellow prisoners. Just curse God and die. Or those fellow prisoners, they're in prison too. Look at what serving the world got you. No better than me, at least I got Jesus Christ. Listen, serving God does not exempt us from trials. There's a lot of false preachers out there that'll tell you otherwise. They didn't read the Bible. They just didn't. You read the book of Acts. They went through some trials. These are the most faithful men to God in the New Testament times, and they went through some trials. Serving God does not exempt you from trials. It does exempt you from hell, and that's a pretty good consolation. But when we find ourselves in chains, in the bondage of life, and the people next to us who are in the bondage of the world, who probably did do some dumb stuff to get themselves chained up, are telling you how to live your life. You got to think, I got here by serving God. You got here by serving the world. 
And even if I die in this cell, they had to think of that to self. Even if I die in this cell, I know where I'm going. Even if, I, even if we did die in this place, we're going to worship God because we know where we're going. The world will tell us the cost of serving God, it's too high. The cost of living a life for Jesus Christ, it, it's too much. You mean you don't get to sleep in on Sundays and watch football? Yeah, I go to church instead. I'm also going to heaven. I'm looking forward to it. You go to church on Wednesdays too? Wait, you're going to take a Saturday to go to another city and help a different church? What if you're hungover? <laughs> These are the things the world says to us. They tell you this, the cost of serving God is too high. But Jesus tells you the cost of serving the world is far greater. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 38. The word, uh, and calling the crowd to, uh, to him with his disciples, Jesus says to them, If anyone should come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever, uh, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed. And when he comes in the glory of his Father, uh, when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. We go through a lot of effort in our lives to make our lives comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? We, we try to try not to get ourselves in too much trouble, try to pay, pay our debts to society or whatever, try to live a comfortable life. But Jesus says at some point when that crosses the line where you're sacrificing your soul for the comforts of the world, what are you gaining? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Every single one of us could walk out this door and never come back and probably make a better life for ourselves by worldly standards. There's, there's a lot of money on the streets. <laughs> that, that's a simple way a lot of people make a lot of money, but you find yourselves in some very real worldly chains. There's a lot of money in immoral activities. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that we could do with our Sunday mornings, our Wednesday nights, even our Saturdays. But Jesus says, what good is any of it if it costs you your soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And he's talking about Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, all these guys who have more money than we could even fathom, Job himself more riches than we could even fathom. And Jesus says, for what can man give in return for his soul? These men could stand at the, at the gates of heaven on judgment day and their billions of dollars is not enough to purchase their soul back. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily condemning the, the status of their soul. I don't claim to know. But what Jesus is saying is you can be the richest man in the world. You can be this or that or whatever, but nothing you can make for yourself in this life will buy your soul back. That's only the blood of Jesus Christ. And are we going to exchange our soul for a little bit of living it up 
on earth. No trial here on earth is worth cursing God over, cursing God and, and dying in our soul, cause, costing us our eternity. We might find ourselves in, in difficult chains in this world for the rest of our life, but it's just a short time compared to eternity. Job understood that. Paul and Silas understood that. And then what happens in our text? Paul and Silas prayed. Probably one of the most difficult times in their life to pray. They prayed and they sang praises to God. And what happens? They experience freedom. Acts chapter 16 verse 26 from our text. As they're praying and worshiping God and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. This is an amazing miracle. And just like Job, I can't help but wonder what would have happened if they didn't do this, if they didn't praise and worship God, if they just got angry at God and, and, and got upset and, and complained and whined about their situation. I can't help but wonder how this story may have gone. Would they have ever gotten out? Would they have been executed? What, what would have happened? But instead, they encounter this trial, these very literal chains, and they praise God anyway. And the same thing must be true for us, that when we find ourselves bound by our circumstances, our situations, whether we, listen, sometimes we put ourselves in chains. Sometimes we just make bad choices. <laughs> sometimes we have situations happen to us. We didn't do anything other than exist, and things take place. But nonetheless, when we find ourselves in chains, do we worship and praise God through them anyway? It was through their faithfulness to God that they found freedom from their chains. And on top of that, their testimony to those were, who were around them. No matter what we find ourselves in, no matter the situations we find ourselves, no matter how we feel about our life today, feeling captive by our circumstances, we must sing praises to God from our chains and allow Him to shake things up. God shook some things up in this story. <laughs> Even Paul and Silas were probably like, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> you know, you, you know, we, we read the story and, and we know what happens like, like that. Like we're just reading it, but they don't know what's going to happen. They just know that they're They're stuck but they still have faith in God and who He is. They praise Him and they worship Him. I don't think that they sat there thinking, listen, the script says if we pray and worship God right here, then the earthquake will happen and we'll be set free. Okay, let's do that. Right? In, in our actual moments of bondage, when we're truly locked up by our life, we have to choose to pray and worship God with no idea what's going to happen next. God chose in that moment to immediately send an earthquake and set them free, but he could have also waited a couple days. Sometimes God will wait a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple years even. But can we praise and worship God through all these things? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul and Silas were locked up. But they were freer than anybody else in that prison, even the prison guards themselves. 
They were physically bound, but spiritually they were free. Christ has already paid the price to set us free. And we should not allow earthly circumstances to convince us to return to the yoke of the world. They were bound by chains, but they were free in their soul. They could have easily allowed their soul to be bound as well. And when we praise God from the chains, not only do we unlock opportunities for freedom for ourselves in our situations, for God to move in our circumstances, but we also are a testimony and a witness to those around us in chains. And God can use us to set other people free from the same chains that we struggle with. The same people who were just telling you, man, serving God and you're bound up like this, when they see what God does in the midst of your captivity is when they go, okay, now I get it. But they'll never see that if we just curse God and die. I want to point out verse 25 from our text, backing up a little bit. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And Listen to this. And the prisoners were listening to them. They weren't just like sitting there in a corner going, you know, to themselves. The prisoners heard them. I gotta imagine what they were thinking. Maybe confused, like you guys, like we know, like we, hey, what are you in for? We got the story, and you're praising the same God who got you in trouble. Maybe confused, maybe amazed, like wow, those guys are faithful. Doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. Maybe annoyed, shut up, I'm trying to sleep. You know, I'm sure there was a lot of different reactions, but what our text tells us is that the prisoners were listening to them. These men, Paul and Silas, imprisoned in shackles, worshiping God, and they had the attention of the prisoners. Listen, when we are in our struggles of life, we have the attention of the world. There's a lot of people in the world who look at Christians like you and I, and when we go through hard times, they're watching. He's gonna, they're going to give it up any moment now. They're going to curse God and die. I know they will. Or they're going, you know, they've been talking about this Jesus guy for a long time. If Jesus comes through, I, I know he's real. I know something's going on in them. The world is watching you. We might not think so. We might not realize it. But when we go through struggles, when we go through hard times in life, the world is watching you. I guarantee it. I'm not even speculating. That's a reality. And if we worship God, if we praise God and give Him glory in our hardest of times, people will notice. And listen, we don't worship God for a show. I'm not saying to put on a show for people, but people will notice your faithfulness to God in the hardest times of your lives. And just like these prisoners, they might be confused. They might be impressed. They might even be annoyed. They might mock you for it. But listen, glory to God, you have their attention. And when your life has their, the world's attention and you're glorifying God with your life, that's a good recipe for God to move. That's a good recipe for God to get involved and shake some things up, not just in your life, but in the life of the people that are watching you. Our testimony to the world around us as we live it out is very important. 
And as we read in our text, verse 26, what happens? And suddenly there was a great, and everyone's bonds were fastened. Think about it. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. It wasn't just Paul and Silas, boom, chains off. All right, see you later, suckers. They prayed. The prisoners weren't praying. Maybe a couple of them maybe joined in. Maybe they witnessed to them. We don't know. But Paul and Silas prayed. They lived out a testimony in front of people who were prisoners to chains like them. And through their praise and worship to God, God moved and people around them were set free. Not just Paul and Silas. Think about that. When we praise God in our life, when it's the hardest to, it doesn't just affect us. It affects the people around us, whether it's your children or your spouse, your friends, families, co-workers, whatever. But also, on the flip side, the same can be said about us when we're sour towards God in our struggles. You know, when we're fair-weather faith, right? Life gets hard and we start to grumble towards God and the world sees that too. In fact, that's what they expect of you. And that will have an effect on those around us. But when we are faithful, when we are faithful to God and we worship Him through the hardest of times, God will deliver His people and the world will notice. And through this situation, they will begin to see that they, they need saved too. They need that God who set them free, set the other people free, can set them free. The God who moved for them, hey, maybe he can move for me. You see, Paul and Silas were in a real prison with real chains. Everybody in there locked up, they knew they were locked up. There was no mystery there. But we live a life around people who think they've got it all figured out, but they're bound by so much. By, by, by mental issues, by false religion, by relationships, all the things I discussed earlier, they think they're living their life by pretty good. But they're bound by so much the approval of the world, man. I'll tell you what. You live for the world's acceptance, you'll die by their rejection. The people who are comfortable in the world today will not be comfortable tomorrow. At some point or another, the world will execute you. That's just the reality. The world is not your friend. <laughs> it's like you're giving somebody a, a hug while they've got a dagger in their hand waiting for the right moment. Comfortable in the world today won't last till tomorrow. I'm not talking about tomorrow, Monday, February 27th. I'm talking about when the, when the pages turn in life. The world isn't faithful. Jesus Christ is faithful. And then when, when God delivers Paul and Silas from this prison, something amazing happens. Verses 26 through 34, just after... Our text says, when suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners escaped. That's how serious they took. He knew that if, they, if, they, if all the prisoners were gone, they were going to kill him. So he's like, I might as well kill myself. But verse 28 says, Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. 
and trembling with fear, fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you and your household, uh, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke about the word of the Lord to him and all to those who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And, when, and then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Think about this. Paul and Silas in chains, the prisoners around them, the jailer, they were all uh, in spiritual chains, at least. The prisoners around them were in chains. The jailer himself in spiritual chains. Think about this. The, the, one, the man who chained them up is now saying, what do I need to do to, to get what you got? <laughs> the guy who had control over, the guy who put them in chains. The jailer saw God deliver them from their situation, and he realized, I need to be free. These men were, were prisoners, my prisoners, but they have a freedom that I don't have. Because when we are faithful and we praise God from our circumstances, no matter how good or bad they are, we praise God from our imprisonment, from our troubles, we are unlocking supernatural protection and deliverance that can only come from God. Listen, I don't advise you try this, but next, imagine being in a hard situation and, and just glorifying celebrities and athletes and riches. See, if, see how quickly it gets you out of your situation. There's a lot of things that, that the world glorifies. I still don't understand the concept of celebrities. Dumb people who got famous and then we, we read everything about them and we put pictures of them on their wall. I don't get it. What did they ever do for you? Entertain you for a couple hours on a screen at best? Jesus Christ died for your sins. That's the only celebrity I need. Jesus Christ came and lived for you and died for you and resurrected for you. And now the Bible says he's at the right hand of God praying for you. The Bible says Jesus Christ right now is praying for you. <laughs> Forget the Kardashians. They will not die for you. They'd probably let you die for them. But when we worship God, the only one who's worthy of worship, even at the hardest of times, is when we can see God move and we can see God touch lives around us. The world won't move for you that way, but God will. And through our lives, the, the amazing and freeing power of Christ can be demonstrated through our lives. For us and those around us who desperately, desperately need to be set free. Can I have every head bowed and every eyes closed this morning?